Have you heard of Olivia, the travel company for lesbians and LGBTQ plus women? You know what they say, life is better in flip-flops. And when you're a lesbian or LGBTQ plus woman, you want to be able to go on vacation, put your feet up and be your unique self. Olivia Travel creates full takeovers of their cruise resort, riverboat and adventure vacations. So you can kiss who you want to kiss without a care in the world. You've never felt relaxation like this. Discover Olivia for yourself at olivia.com or through the link in our show notes and save $100 on your next Olivia booking when you use promo code CRUISING. Well, you're going to introduce me. Yeah. It's March of 2023, and my mom and I are walking up to the soft opening of Fembar in Worcester, Massachusetts. New England's newest and only lesbian bar. But it's not that people can't know that you're my mom. I just okay. don't want people. Oh yeah. Oh, like if you're ask. off doing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom is chaperoning me today because she lives about 30 minutes outside of Worcester, and she's a big fan of cruising. The whole cruising production team is actually from New England. Rachel and I grew up in Acton, a small town in between Worcester and Boston, and Jen grew up in Narragansett, Rhode Island. But none of us have ever known about a New England lesbian bar. Fembar is actually part of a nationwide resurgence of lesbian bars. When we set out on our road trip to visit every single lesbian bar in the U.S. back in 2021, we had 21 open and operating brick-and-mortar bars on our list. Since then, eight new lesbian bars have opened across the country. And by the end of this season, there will probably be more because groups in cities like Boston and New York are currently organizing and fundraising to open new bars. This season of cruising will be taking you to each of these new lesbian bars. And we'll also be visiting historic lesbian bars that are no longer open. From 1930s San Francisco to 1990s New Orleans and everything in between, we're going to be telling the stories of the humans that ran them and the humans that called them a home. Like Danielle Spring, one of the owners of Fembar. Hello. Hi. Oh my God. Hi. I'm Danielle. Very nice to meet you. I'm Diane. This, is, this is my mom. <laughs> Going into this, I had no idea that Danielle knew exactly who I was. I've been so nervous about like meeting you today because I was like... What? Well, so this whole journey started because of the podcast, yeah. Are you kidding? What? Yeah, that's why I was like reaching out to you. The newspaper called today and I was like, there's a podcast, it's like Cruising Pod that like... That started it, and then we ended up going to the cubbyhole, and we fell in love with the cubbyhole because we heard about it from you. And then, like, we were like, we need to bring that back home, so that's what this is. This is Cruising, a podcast about the last lesbian bars in the U.S. My name is Sarah Gabrielli, and this season, we're taking you to lesbian bars, past and present. This is Fembar. Can you tell me your love story? Like, like that we like each other? Uh, <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're sitting at a high top table in the front corner of the newly opened Fembar in Worcester, Massachusetts. I'm Danielle Spring. I am a wife to the owner. <laughs> okay, yeah. I am Julie Tupin, and I am the owner. 
Danielle and Julie are co-owners. Danielle is just very silly and also endlessly supportive of her wife, Julie. I, I tell everybody that comes in here that she did everything so that they understand, like, please don't come in here asking for me. Like, she's the important one. They don't believe I'm the owner or they'll be like, oh, you're Danielle's wife. And it's always like, oh, like, I have a name. I but mean, we are co-owners on yes. it. And but a lot of people are like, you're Danielle's her. wife. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I hate that for. <laughs> yeah. It probably happens because Danielle has a bigger personality. I mean, I'm charmed by both of them, but that's just me. Danielle's very personable. Like, Danielle can talk to anybody. And I sometimes love I, I'm very anxious. So sometimes it's like, I want to talk to you, but I might not. And like, I have severe RBF. Resting bitch face. So people are always think I'm a bitch or something. I'm like, no, it's just my face. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you say something to me, I'll talk to you. And I'm probably laughing a majority of the time. Like, I'm always laughing. Yeah, you're a big nerd. Yeah. Julie has designed a really distinct aesthetic at Fembar. The walls and the bar itself are painted a solid black, accented with pink bar stools, pink lighting, and all of this minimalistic feminine art lining the walls. So I try to, like, take myself out so people give her the credit that she's due. Like, I want her to have her flowers. Like, she did all this. I'm just here because I'm her wife. Like, I support her. Danielle and Julie have been together for over a decade. Danielle and I met years ago over 10 years yeah over 10 years ago and um we were actually set up on a blind date through it was like friends of friends of friends and it was like i was the token lesbian in my friend group and she was the token lesbian in her friend group yeah and they were both just like people that knew each other were like oh i know a lesbian you know a lesbian let's set them up let's set them up and we were like this is so weird and they wouldn't give us each other's last names so we couldn't look each other up on facebook because we were like we're gonna look each other up and they wouldn't do anything so we met it actually smokestack which used to be a bar over here and we all went and we like i was so embarrassing like like, 25 people showed up to watch us meet and it was the most uncomfortable situation it was very kindergarten and then danielle actually hit on another girl in front of me it's true (laughs) no it's true i was just like and i think she thought it was gonna make me jealous or something no and i didn't care at all and i was like fuck this i'm done like and i and we went and partied for the rest of the night I was not upset, actually, at no, all. No, that's when I knew I loved you. Cause you <laughs> we, so we left Smokestack and went back to my old bar, and I didn't tell her I owned a bar. So she was like, oh, my God, this like my brother told me I can't go here. This is like a dangerous bar. He's like, it's not oh, yeah. dangerous. It's not a dangerous bar, I promise. So I go behind the bar. She's like, I don't think you can do that. I was like, I know a couple people will be all right. So I made us some shots and some drinks. And yeah, then I had no was, idea that she owned a bar. No idea. She dropped it like it was hot and never came back oh, up. Oh, I was so drunk. I was so drunk and I fell while I was dancing and I was laughing on the floor and my best friend that was with me was like, Julie, get up, get up. You should be so embarrassed. And I was like, I'm not embarrassed. She she was not a little bit embarrassed and that's when I knew I loved her. Because who doesn't take themselves that seriously? (laughs) I was drunk. I didn't care. It was amazing. I loved you at that moment. Even though for Danielle, it was love at almost first sight, it would be many months before they started actually dating. We were friends for like a really long time. Mm. You chased me for like seven months. Did you enjoy that? Yes. <laughs> it was the first time I ever had to like chase somebody. It did not feel good. <laughs> <laughs> it was well worth it, but I hated it. What did you uh, do? Every and anything I could. Her favorite she, meal is breakfast, so I would take her out to breakfast. And it's funny because she hates breakfast. I hate she it. hates breakfast. She hates going out to breakfast. And I didn't learn that until like years later. And I was like, why have we gone out to breakfast so yeah. many times? You like it. But here we are 10 plus years later. Yeah. How did you end up giving in? Oh, yeah. I told you you'd never have to work again. 
That's not why I ended up giving in. You're such an ass. <laughs> um, I think eventually I just kind of like we were like friends. Like we did everything together at one point. I think it turned into that. Like we were doing everything together. Then I was like, oh, I guess we are dating. Yeah. When I first met Danielle, I was very like new. I was like a baby gay. I was very newly gay. Julie had only recently come out to her family. My parents were still having a very hard time. Like, my family was still having a very hard time with it. So it was very hard for me to come to terms with it, I think, myself, too. And so it was like a journey for both of us. Because <laughs> my mom and dad, we kind of, like, were on the outs for, like, two years. Like, they didn't really talk to me. They It was really hard. Like, and I was young, and I never experienced anything. Like, my family was always there for me. Like, we're a very close family. So for them to, like not talk to me and like exclude me from certain things like I had a really hard time with it. Danielle's coming out journey on the other hand started many years before that. So I'm quite a bit older than my amazing wife. Um so mine was slightly different. It was very hard for me to hide my gay. I'm very much <laughs> the definition of like a tomboy mask lesbian um and I live my life the way I want to live my life. But still, Danielle didn't talk to her mom and stepdad about being gay until after college. I was in a fight with my girlfriend at the time and had to call home because I needed to move home. So I had to have a reason why I needed to move home. So I had to tell them. So they weren't happy about it, but... Danielle's parents were so unhappy at the time. They said, no, you can't move back in with us. And instead, Danielle moved in with her grandparents. My Nana is the best human being in the world. My Nana basically helped raise me. She's been in my life since I was born. My mom has had it really, really tough just in the world. So my Nana has been there to make sure I'm okay. So I'm super thankful for her. And it was never an issue with my Nana. She does not care. Nana's the shit. Nana is the shit. (laughs) Nana's the best. She's like a community Nana. Nana uh, listens to like local hip hop still. So, and she's 80 something years old, bumping 94.5 on the radio, listening, rapping to Jay Z. Yep. Like, so Nana, Nana, Nana was here the night you were here. You just never got to, I never, I was everywhere. So I never got to intro you. My dad is everywhere too. He, he was not around in the early stuff. But Danielle has always had one person in her corner, her sister, Deontay. I didn't ever have to come out to Deontay. She basically told me, she's like, I know what you're doing. <laughs> Is that what, was that a real conversation? That's a real conversation. Wait, can you tell me the full story? I was, we were living, it was right before I was leaving for college and I was kind of hanging out with someone and uh, my sister gave me like the fingers in the face. She's like, I know what you're doing and I don't mind it, but I understand why you're not telling nobody and I love you. And that was the end of it. And she's just been super supportive since she figured it out. Well, you live with someone, you know, like our siblings know Mm -hmm. because they see us in a different light. So she was like, I've been known. She's like, you better stop playing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My family has now since come around. um, Oh, mine too. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah, I forgot to add that in. That's that's huge. I mean, I think my sister played a big role in my family coming around. So I'm thankful for her for that kind of because there are a lot. (laughs) She just would come at things from a different perspective and make you understand that, like, the love you have for that person didn't go anywhere just because they're not the way you thought they were. When Danielle and Julie first started dating, Danielle made absolutely sure Julie and Deontay would be friends. Danielle would send us on, like, little excursions together. She'd be like, oh, Deontay, bring Julie to Walmart with you. I need this. Or bring her there. We need to get this. So me and Deontay just, like, slowly started, like, hanging out more. I mean, the 
only way that I can stay with someone is if Deontay liked them. So if she didn't like them, like I'd had to know pretty early on, so I wouldn't waste my time. Mm-hmm. So the more they went on excursions, the more Deontay was like, "I really liked you, Drew." <laughs> oh yeah, and we became like we were best friends. Like we did, I did more stuff with Deontay, I think, than like you at one point. Yeah, like we were going out every night. We were hanging out all the time. Yeah. She was like my older sister, honestly. Like I only have older brothers, so it was like. I had so many first experiences with her and like just like partying in general because I I didn't do that. I was like very small town. Like we didn't have that type of stuff. So I was like, oh, I only see this shit on the movies. And like she brought me out everywhere. Julie's from Charlton, Massachusetts, population 13,000. I experienced like my whole beginning of life with her. Like I was out at clubs like until like two, three in the morning. We'd all go out to breakfast. Like that was like our favorite thing like afterwards or like. She would drag me to the casino with her, and those were the worst trips ever because she would stay at the casino for, like, eight hours, and I'd be like, please bring me home. (laughs) She'd just be smoking, playing some, like, slots. Penny slot machines were her favorite. Eight hours straight because she was wild. She loved, like, strip clubs, right? I experienced my first strip club with, like, Deontay, and I was like, why the fuck am I here? Like, I was like, this is awesome. Like, just, like, different life experiences where, I don't know, we just did everything together. Like, she was my best friend. Julie and Deontay became so close that at their wedding, Deontay was in Julie's wedding party. Came on my bachelorette party with me. Like, we all went to Miami. And she was like my ride or die in Miami telling people off for me. Danielle and Julie got married in 2019 after dating for seven years. They had their ceremony at the West Art Museum, an after party at a local whiskey bar called Buck's. We definitely partied it up at the art museum heavy. And then we got here about... 11 30 midnight and party till two yeah. he let us stay till two in the morning yeah. yeah he being the owner of bucks yeah and you knew him from your old bar right yeah. like is that how you met him yeah. and like we were just looking for a space and he was like you guys can have it here and he wasn't open late night at the time nope. he actually opened, he opened for us for to us. have the event so he was like really really nice about it he was like yeah come have your after party here and whatever and he was like as long as people drink and eat and he was like boy did the yeah yeah heavy Actually, at the end of it, I don't think he ended up charging us for it because everyone partied they so party hard. So heavy. Both times, yeah. <laughs> you didn't need to, like, pay a few. No, because no. he was like, "No, what what we did in sales is enough." Thank you. <laughs> so shout out to our friends. Yeah, shout out to our friends that <laughs> drank their faces it. off. Exactly. It's kind of telling that Danielle and Julie had their lesbian wedding reception at a relatively straight bar. Even though Worcester is the second largest city in all of New England, it has a long history of lacking in lesbian spaces. The vast majority of social spaces in Worcester for LGBTQ identified folks were male-centered, male-owned, and male-run. This is history professor Stephanie Yule from the College of the Holy Cross. She leads an LGBTQ plus Worcester history project called For the Record. There's a wonderful ad that we found in the in the newspaper in Boston written by a young a young gay woman saying and I'll actually quote it to you it was in the Boston uh, gay community news in 1974 and it says new to Worcester anxious to get away from ports of call which was a largely male bar and would like to meet other gay females right so there's this idea that it's just I can't breathe in these spaces they're so male until I would say 1979 when a Clark University graduate student named Ellen Gardner, who had lived in Worcester for about eight years, was just really fed up with the lack of a scene for women. And she was an unabashed, unapologetic lesbian feminist. And she just was angry that there was a lack of women's things in town. So she opened 
a place called the Women's Bookstore on a shoestring budget on Main Street. And she envisioned this place kind of as a salon bookstore, as a place where women would gather, where they could talk, where they could be politically active, and where they could support each other. Women from all over the city came to it, Um, not just lesbian women, but all kinds of women. But she did have a lesbian social hour. She had a support group for women who wanted to explore homosexuality and bisexuality, as she called it. Um, They had support groups for divorce, for investments, a babysitting exchange, seminars, a backgammon tournament. You know, they, they had notable authors come and do readings. So it really was kind of a combo bookstore meeting place. There's a couple great images of her from the newspaper um, in the bookstore. And she's so 70. She's fabulous. She's got like the, you know, the big round glasses that are kind of orange lensed, you know, and she was just a really, a real character. She had a lot of interviews in the newspaper and she was great. She would say things like, look, I'm not going to sell anything that's anti-female. I'm not going to sell in her mind that included pornography. She wouldn't sell gothic romances because they thought they were a bunch of heteronormative bullshit and she didn't want to perpetuate that kind of, you know, nonsense in that system. She wouldn't sell self-help books because she was like, hey, you're trying to make money off other people's insecurities. So she just was really like, there needs to be a woman's space. I've lived here eight years. There has not been one. And we are not going to be embarrassed or apologetic for centering our own needs. So the women's bookstore was really important. Unfortunately, it only existed about four years, um, largely because of financial struggles, but lasted for about three years. But it was a really important place. The women's bookstore closed in 1982. The next year, in 1983, a now well-known lesbian party emerged. It was called the Floating Dance Floor. So the Floating Dance Floor, much like the women's bookstore, emerged out of a sense that there wasn't enough support or enough spaces for women to come together. One woman who responded to this was a woman named Audrey. And in 1983, she decided, you know, I love going into Boston and dancing with other women. Worcester needs something like that. So in 1983, she organized by herself these, again, shoestring bi-weekly dance parties as a kind of alternative to the brick and mortar gay male bar scene in Worcester. And what these looked like were every other weekend at a local hall for years, they were at the, the veterans of foreign wars building on Ballard street. And I know it's an unlikely pairing. It was just a gathering where women could come and she would, there would be a small fee to enter the dance, but that covered the cost of the rental of the space, the DJ fees, the DJs were always women and uh, some snacks. She put out little snacks, coffee and cheese and crackers and things like that. And women would dance. Women would find out about this uh, dance by uh, word of mouth, of course, also ads in the local papers and the radio. But interestingly, in the local paper, it just called it a woman's dance. It never mentioned gay or lesbian, right? Um, unfortunately, after a few years, after about five years, so around 1988, the floating dance floor became somewhat known in the city. And the local paper sent a male reporter to go to one and write a story on it. And even though the story itself was 
mostly positive. What it did is it got publicity for the dance floors that actually ended up having negative repercussions. The board of the Veterans of Foreign Wars was really embarrassed by this, that they were hosting a lesbian dance party every other week. And one former post commander said that this was just a shame and that homosexuality was against their, quote, religious, moral, and patriotic standards. And basically, as one person said, they just got tired of getting laughed at by the other veterans organizations for hosting this party. And so after this perfectly amicable five-year relationship that provided this wonderful social space for women, the VFW voted to bar the dances. So it was a huge loss for the city. But what I think is great in terms of this notion of resilience is that Audrey and all these women who wanted to dance and be together wouldn't take no for an answer. So she contacted other organizations like the Polish American Club, the Lithuanian War Veterans Organization, all these different fraternal organizations and said, hey, I want to throw a party. And she did. And so it kept going and it kept going for 25 years. They had to move and pivot and and make do. And I will say that the Worcester Historic Museum has some terrific handwritten flyers with hand-drawn maps for where to find the dance floor from this period. Cruising will be back after a short break. Have you heard of Olivia, the travel company for lesbians and LGBTQ plus women? You know what they say. Life is short and the world is wide. And when you're a lesbian or LGBTQ plus woman, you want to be able to go on an adventure, have some fun, and be your unique self. Olivia Travel creates full takeovers of their cruise, resort, riverboat, and adventure vacations so you can zipline or scuba dive knowing you're with your own community. Discover Olivia for yourself at olivia.com or through the link in our show notes. Save $100 on your next Olivia booking with promo code CRUISING. The floating dance floor kept going until 2009, so by the time Fembar came on the scene more recently, it had been well over a decade since the city of Worcester was home to any established lesbian spaces. There was not a single lesbian bar in the state of Massachusetts, or anywhere in New England for that matter. A fact that had never even crossed Julie's mind. I think, like, us not having one here, like in Massachusetts, it doesn't even register. I feel like you don't even think about it. Like, yeah. I don't know if other, I mean, obviously other people do, but in my mind, like I didn't, I never even thought like, oh, maybe there's like a lesbian bar. Like to tell you the truth, we didn't know they even existed. I didn't know. I get focused and hyper-focused on things. So once I knew they were there, they couldn't escape us. But until that, until that point, yeah, no, I didn't know. Until 2021, with the launch of a certain podcast you might've heard of. This is Cruising, a podcast about the last lesbian bars in the U.S. It was you. It's your fault, actually. Um, over over quarantine, I started listening to your podcast. I got super interested in the whole idea of, of lesbian bars and why there aren't enough. After you went down the le- like you went, I went down a rabbit hole of lesbian TikTok, and that's what really like got Danielle really going on it. I was super intrigued by most of their locations and the fact that like they all bring this sense of community that we didn't really have around here yet in this type of space. So having listened to Cruising, Julie and Danielle took a lesbian bar road trip of their own. We traveled to the cubbyhole because that was your first episode and we fell absolutely in love. It wasn't their first time making the drive down to New York City. I I like to haggle. So once a year, my wife lets me go to Chinatown in New York and haggle. Oh my God, she loves it. 
It's my favorite thing. It's like it's one of those things. It's, it's like joy in my heart. She is awful. It's it's the best thing in the world. Everyone does it to me all the time. <laughs> it feels nice to do it. <laughs> She's like a salesperson through and through. She loves a deal. I love talking to people, and if I can get a deal out of talking to someone, we've had a great day. <laughs> but Danielle and Julie had never thought to visit any of the New York lesbian bars. Like they said, that just hadn't been on their radar. Danielle had been to lesbian bars when she was younger, but Julie had never been at all. This 2021 cubbyhole trip was their first time stepping into a lesbian bar together. So actually, when we first got there, it was cold. It was in February, I think, when we went. because we go for my birthday every year. Yeah, there was a line down the block. And we were like, what the hell is this place? Like, why are people, like, really waiting to get in? And there was a lot of different ages in the line, which I thought was, like, really cool. And then we get inside, and it was just, like... I don't I don't know I can't really explain it but it was like instantly feeling of like you just felt really welcome in there and the people were also nice and it was predominantly women and I've never been in a space like that before where it was all women never in my life my experience was basically (laughs) just enjoying uh her enjoying it um it's just nice to see her her shoulders like loosen up and her just enjoy the space because sometimes we go out to dinners and restaurants and stuff it's it's not that vibe at all. So it was really nice to be in a safe, welcoming space that we could kind of come as you are and be yourself. That was cool. Mm-hmm. So that was our different experiences was me enjoying you, enjoying that experience. Oh, I had so much fun. I know. I remember. And we really didn't even drink that much. We really were like people well, watching and making friends. And I drank a bit. It was amazing to see. Like, and everybody, everybody I like experienced was so nice. Like, even these girls, like, for some reason, the bartender, like, wasn't coming over to me and the girls got me a drink. And, like, they were like, we'll get it for you. Don't worry. Like, it was really, really fun. It was great to be a part of. Yeah. yeah. It was a cool vibe. And Julie didn't want to go originally. <laughs> um, she fought me all the way there. And then she made me stay till four in the morning. <laughs> so we went from not wanting to go to... To be fair, it wasn't that I didn't want to go. I was tired. I was exhausted. We had just seen like a show and I was like, did not want to go out at all. Yeah, Hamil- <laughs> Hamilton will do that to you. That's a long one. <laughs> so yeah, we went to the cubby hole and then on our ride home, um, we talked about like how amazing that space was. And I had the same feeling. I was like, this is wild. Like we need to bring it home. As enthusiastic as Danielle was to visit a lesbian bar, she had no desire to open one at the time. I refused to help for a long time because I didn't want anything to do with the bar business. I had a bar a long time ago and I didn't love it. Let's be clear, though. Danielle is really good at running bars. Her bar was like one of like it was the place to be at. Like everybody went. Yeah. Uh, square one, <laughs> sports bar and grill. People to this day still talk about it and how much they miss it. But owning a bar at the time was more of a means to an end. I was in my very late 20s, early 30s. And uh, like I was on this path of opening business after business. And it seemed like my dream was to open or still is to open a golf course. So I had a plan in my head. I had a valet parking company, sold that for the bar then i was going to sell the bar for the vet, uh, the golf course she's quite the entrepreneur and because of that danielle knew firsthand just how challenging it would be to open and run their own bar when you open a bar it's the hardest thing you'll ever do you have to be in these four walls every day all day non-stop you have to try and think of every type of customer that you'll get and cater to them 
um, in terms of your menu, in terms of who you hire, how you hire, what hours you're open. It's just, it's a lot. And then everybody, and I love everybody, but everybody has ideas of how to make you better. But there's only 24 hours in the day and you got to sleep some of them and you only have so much money. So it, it gets really like hard because I want to, I want to make everybody happy. I want everyone, I want to see joy on everybody's face. I want to see everybody smiling. So for me, it's really hard to be in this industry because it just takes, it, it takes a lot to be successful and to make people happy. And Danielle's first bar, one sports bar and grill, sounds exceptionally exhausting. Back in the day, the street that we're on right now, because it was on the street, um, was like the party street. And I mean, it wasn't just the college kids, it was like the gangbangers in the city, the people that would come from the smaller towns. It was just like a big mesh of people. Well, Green Street and Water Street, they're right next to each other. And this was full of bars and clubs. It was bars and clubs. And people would just go from like bar hop all night long. Like this was where you wanted to be in Worcester. Yeah. This area. So just at the end of the night, it would always seem to end up that all the trouble would come out to my place. Um, So they wouldn't necessarily be in our bar, but they would, a lot of really pretty girls would go there. So a lot of the boys that were in town would want to wait outside and try and talk to the girls. And it would, you know, get wild. They would be out there trying to get digits and, and numbers, but these girls were already with people that they were with, and that would be a problem. So fights happened constantly. Girls would fight in there. <laughs> yeah. We had a lot of fights, so. It was fun. It was uh, it was absolutely wild. Sorry to the city of Worcester, but the bar got out of control. It was way too big for people that didn't know what they were doing. The bar eventually closed in 2013. Someone else offered more money for the location because we didn't own the location. It was time to move on to whatever was next for us. So bittersweet. Danielle was adamant that she did not want to open another bar. But Julian Deontay had other ideas. Her sister at the time kept telling me like how much she danielle like really wanted to go get back into the bar industry and she like kept telling me behind her back and i was like i don't know she keeps telling me she doesn't really want to do it and she keeps telling me no and she's like no she really wants to do it so we started like plotting little things behind her back and talking about it more and more and the more i brought it up the more she like started actually being okay with the idea and like actually admitting that she wanted to get back into the industry and stuff so you just want to be begged yeah no basically yes Uh, yes 100%. It's not true. I like that. Yes. Well, if you learned anything about me, I just want to be needed. So honestly, with Danielle, it's a lot of um, subliminal thoughts. (laughs) If you get Danielle to think it's her idea, usually you can win. (laughs) So it was a lot of like bringing up the idea of a bar, reminding her how much fun we had and saying that I wish we had a space like that in Worcester and there's nothing like that. We don't feel that way anytime we go out. So the more I brought it up and was like, don't you remember that feeling? Like, it was so great. That's how I kind of plotted my little way into it. And then her sister used to call her every morning. So that's honestly, I think, her being like, oh, you'd have so much fun. And she would say different things, too. So Yeah, my sister was going ham very, (laughs) very hard at me. Um, Was she queer or was she just extremely supportive of you? You know, we don't know. A little bit There's of both, some I stories think. out there. <laughs> There's some stories with, like, a lot of her female friends that I'm never going to double check on because I don't want to know. Uh, but she was the biggest hype man I've ever known in life. She was a better hype man than Puffy. 
Yeah. No matter what we did, she would just hype you up. No matter what, like, you could be like, oh, I'm wearing blue eyeshadow. And she'd be like, that's the best blue eyeshadow ever. <laughs> that's that stuff right there. Everybody else wants that blue eyeshadow. Yeah. You kill it, girl. Yeah, she was yeah. the best. That's, so <laughs> that's, funny. A, that's a perfect deal. Oh yeah. Yeah. She was the best. You've probably already realized from the way we've been talking about her that Deontay is no longer with us. It's really hard. It's like really hard. Because it was super unexpected. Deontay died on March 18th, 2022, from fentanyl intoxication. A Worcester man has since been charged with manslaughter in connection to her death. According to media reports, he may have accidentally provided her with a bag of fentanyl instead of a bag of cocaine. Deontay was 36 years old. We were in bed. We got a phone call at like eight something, nine or something at night. She was unconscious. She was still unconscious. Unresponsive, yeah. Very unexpected. After Deontay's funeral, her family and friends went to Buck's for a reception, that same whiskey bar where Danielle and Julie had hosted their wedding after party. I just reached out and said, hey, listen, we have the services. Do you mind if we all come there after? And he was like, that's not a problem at all. He's like, come on down. Yep. And he shut down the place and we all took over. And again, it was a very, I mean, almost everybody... My sister knew a lot of people. Everybody. So a lot of people came down here with us. For a few months after Deontay's death, the lesbian bar idea was very much on the back burner. I think it took us even a long time to actually even start talking about it again because it happened in March and it was like so sudden that it was um, like almost like the shock value was so high. Like you don't even we didn't even like realize I don't think what was going on. And it was, like, so hard that he was just quiet for a few months, right? Like, Yeah. The words of Hamilton. It was quiet uptown. Yeah, it was. It really was just quiet. And then once we kind of started, like, coming back to... I don't want to say coming back to life, but that's really what it is, right? Grief is hard. And I think once you started, like, coming full circle on the situation, it was like, okay, like, this happened. Like, what are we going to do? And how do we remember her? Yeah. And that's really what made us, like, take the step because she knew it was something that, like, her sister wanted us to do. And I think it just kind of pushed us to actually do it, pull the trigger on it. Yeah. yeah. I just felt like I needed to finish this with Julie, you know, like, in her honor. Then something kismet happened. The opportunity came up to buy Buck's Whiskey Bar, where they had celebrated their marriage back in 2019 and just recently celebrated Deontay's life. It felt like the right place because my sister was here. And we had so many, like, personal ties to the location, so it just felt right. So it was pretty easy to, to pick. The, it, it came to us, which at that point, it was like, okay, now too many things are lining up properly. I, think, I guess we have to do this. The owner of Bucks had reached out to Danielle. Yeah, I think he yeah, texted he you, texted right? He texted me out of the blue, just, hey, what's up? How are you? And, the, and then that was, that was the start of Femme, honestly. Because mm-hmm. at that point, I was like, okay, I think this is how we can do something really good for the community and remember Deontay and, um, I don't know, enjoy each other while we do this. So it was just all-encompassing. It was just perfect timing. It was weird. And and at that point, it told me, like, it was meant to be. And I think it almost gave you, um, like, a project. It, it actually came at, like, a really good time because it kept her, like, mind busy and she always had ideas and she was really just like, we should do this, we should do that. And it really kept her thinking it really got you through like some of the hardest parts of your life like yeah. like opening this place it yeah. really did 
At Julie and Danielle's house, brainstorming bar names became a nightly ritual. We were actually laying in bed one night and we were just talking about it and I had a notebook. And I had like, I just kept writing down any name that came to my head. I was like this and that. I've written off some like real crazy ones and you were like, no. And she just kept being like, no, no, When I heard it, it would make sense. So until I heard it. Yeah. And then I Googled women in different languages and femme came up and I just like looked at her and I was like, what about femme? And she was like, she just looked at me and she's like, what do you mean? And I was like, femme, like, that's it. And I was like, it's kind of like a double entendre, right? Like femme lesbian. And she just like laid there and quiet for like a minute. And then she was like, yeah, yeah, that's it. And that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's, the, whole story. that's the whole story. That's how we make no decisions more, in our lives. No more thought went into it. The name is not meant to limit the type of patrons welcomed at the bar. Nope, it doesn't mean it's only for femmes. It doesn't mean that, like, that didn't cross my mind until after. It was probably, like, a few weeks later that you were like, oh, people are going to think it's only for femmes. Well, I still think that, like, I, I'll go to femme to find a femme. <laughs> you also go to femme to find a butch. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> At first, people were asking us, they're like, what if people don't, like, what if butches don't come? And I was like, everybody's going to come. It's just a lesbian bar. Like, don't think too much on the name. And everyone did come. Like, our first weekend opening, we, it was crazy in here. It was so much love. And it was so much love. Like, everybody was so excited to be here. So much love. I worked opening night, and I just remember walking in, and the place was so full, and everyone's chattering and smiling and drinking their drinks. This is Peyton, a femme bartender. And then as, like, you see more people come in, they, like, light up, and they're looking around, and they're like, oh, my God, wow. Like, you can see people's mouths going, like, it's so pretty, or, like, oh, my God. Like, just nothing but, like, joy and happiness, like, walking in here. And it's been super cool to, like, see those people, like, light up, I guess, like, when they come in, and they're like, yes, this is this is what we needed. Peyton was among the first people to get hired at Femme. One of my friends told me that they were opening up a lesbian bar here, like when the place before it closed. And I was like, I'm either working here or I'm going to be here all the time. Like either way. So I saw that they posted something on Instagram and they're like, hey, we're doing hiring this day from this time and this time. And I was like, I'm coming. I'm going to be the first one there. Like I knew I wanted to be a part of it. I knew that it was going to be something big and that like just important and big. And like I wanted to be a part of it, not just because like I'm a bartender at the lesbian bar, but just because like to see the impact on people around too and like get to know other like queer people in the area. My favorite like little thing to tell people is so like these are all like old like lesbian love stories from like a book that like Julie like ripped apart. She's like it really hurt but look how cute it looks. Peyton points to one of the frames on the wall. That's my favorite to tell people to like look and like read the stories and stuff. There's actually one Danielle told me. It's the first one she told me to look at. It's in between the bathroom and the kitchen door Um, and it's it's a woman explaining her um, her first time in like a queer woman's space and like just feeling like the love and the good energy. And I said to Danielle, I was like, that's exactly how I feel here. Like, cause being like a bisexual woman, like sometimes I'm not gay enough or sometimes I'm not straight enough. So coming in here and everyone's like, Hey, what's up? And just like all the love, like it's totally embodied in that one. I was like, now I have to read the rest of the walls too. Do you feel like, more validated in your queerness like 100 yeah that's yeah. what i feel about the podcast yeah like, i like never have to no. come out no it, yeah all you have to do is say your job say and your I'm, here. I'm here yeah 100 yeah. awesome. i totally get that yeah. yeah i don't have to say anything else they already know like who i am as a person and kind of like what i like stand for almost and like it's really like you said validating yeah i didn't realize 
how few lesbian bars there actually were in the country. So to be a part of one, he can't even describe that feeling. You're just like, wow, okay, this is actually awesome. And like when I'm older and be like, yeah, like this place like that I was a part of, it's going to be super cool. Them had been up and running for a few months by the time I came by to do some interviews. Business is good still. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a line down the street like we used to, which I think was an anomaly, and I'm okay to say that. Yeah. But we do still sometimes have lines, and um, we're busy six days a week, really. Yep. Is it six days? Yeah, because of brunch. Brunch is pretty yeah. busy. Brunch is definitely busy. Yeah. We're always here. One of us is always here. But we have like a pretty good schedule between the two of us because I still do hair. So Danielle works like certain nights, like late nights for me because I have to get up early and vice versa. Like, Or she does brunch on Sundays. So I work late night Saturdays. They sometimes find time to see each other outside of them. A lot of times like when I come home or she comes home, like one of us is already asleep. So Mondays, yeah. I will say Mondays Sunday is our nights. day. Sunday, so oh, Sunday yeah. after brunch, we leave here and we don't come back till Tuesday. So we kind of have like Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and then all day Monday. Sunday, Monday Sunday afternoon, we do try to do some after brunch here. We do try to like go out to dinner or we or go to like the poetry out. cauldron or something like that. Yeah. We try to do something fun and whatever. And then we Monday, yeah. And Monday, we really just, <laughs> we really don't leave the house. <laughs> Danielle and Julie spend more time at Femme than anyone, but only because Deontay isn't around to rival them. She would have been here every day. Oh my god, she would have been the loudest part of this place. Yeah. (laughs) And everybody would have known her. Yeah. And the the listeners don't know this, but there's just like a mural of her behind. (laughs) (laughs) Behind our table, to the left of the bar, there's a big mural. A Medusa with bright purple, green, and pink snakes for hair. It's just so captivating in real life. It looks like, I mean, it's some, like you guys gotta stop by and see it. It's unbelievable. The Medusa wears two gold necklaces. One says Pride, the other, Deontay. Danielle's sister peers down at us with an almost smile on her lips. I love the way um, the artist did it because I was like, that's like the real like look she would give. She would just like look down on people and then just like make you laugh. So it's like funny that it's like an exact it's, like it's it, it shows a lot of her personality, actually, which is really yeah. like it's so cool. Bringing Deontay in was something that came up just naturally in conversation of wanting her to be in the space. So it was how do we honor her in a way that is really beautiful And something that we know she would hopefully love. This is artist and muralist Janessa Burke. I do portrait paintings and a lot of the times I do memorial portraiture. And I am the one that painted the mural inside the wonderful Fembar. Julie said, I've got this idea that is inspired by Medusa. And immediately I thought, that's amazing. That's badass, perfect for the bar. We went through the color scheme that they were going to have in the bar. So we brought in pinks and purples in the serpents um, with like pops of greens for contrast. And there are some hidden elements throughout that I actually surfaced to them. I had kind of like a, a photo like of what maybe I wanted. And she took Deontay's like everything from Deontay. Like this is like Deontay's actual name necklace and stuff like that. She found her earrings like through Facebook posts and yeah. stuff like that that she posted. So she did that. And Deontay was a Gemini. And if you knew her, that was like very important. So we have the double headed snake down there. We do have a Gemini symbol tucked in here somewhere, but we have a lot of cool like woman symbols like tucked in too. So there's a lot of Easter eggs. 
We wanted to make sure that we honored her in little bits throughout the murals because she was the one that was talking to both of them about the idea of this bar. And she wasn't able to be there when the bar opened. But I'm really hoping that by putting those pieces in the mural, she's there with them every day. A lot of people don't know. Like, I mean, when you ask us and like we get candid and talking about it, we'll like let you know. But a lot of people come in and they just like they just think like it's the it. coolest thing ever. Like yeah. people love like taking pictures with it and they just love the mural in general. Yeah. I appreciate all the people that take pictures with it because it just it means so much. Keeps her alive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it just definitely. keeps her going. And her spirit is in all those pictures. It's amazing. I mean, ultimately, it was Deontay's memory that inspired the creation of Fembar to begin with. So not only is it a mural and it's beautiful and it lives in this space, but I think it's more than a mural for some of us. Cruising is independently reported and produced by a small but mighty team of three. Story producer and social media manager Rachel Karp, line producer and road trip driver Jen McGinnity, and story producer and audio engineer me, Sarah Gabrielli. Our theme song is by Joey Freeman. Thank you to our sponsors, Olivia Travel and Honda. You can find us at our website, cruisingpod.com, on social media at cruisingpod, and at patreon.com slash cruisingpod. Listen to Cruising wherever you get your podcasts.